You must have seen by now that I recently published a novel called The People from Beyond the Mountains. I want to talk about that today. I'm not trying to make this a promotional piece, but it's more about my thought processes behind this novel. For someone whose first book, Cultural Engineering, was about advertising, why did I decide to write a work of fiction this time? And why did I make it about sustainability and climate change? It's because advertising cannot exist in a vacuum. It exists in the wider world, and in the wider world, climate change is an unavoidable reality. Everything every company does in every industry has to have sustainability at its core. There are so many climate change experts. Even some people who've made their billions in other industries have reinvented themselves as climate change experts. I'm never going to compete with them if I write scientific pieces about climate change. My differentiator is storytelling. As a creative with 12 years of experience in advertising, I'm uniquely qualified to tell stories. Humans are a storytelling species. That's why Aesop's fables were conceived to communicate moral values. That's why the Bible is filled with stories. That's why the Ramayana and the Mahabharata happened. There hasn't been enough storytelling about climate change. There has been too much politicization of the issue. There is an unwritten rule that your stance on this issue should depend entirely on where you stand on the political spectrum. But it doesn't have to be this way. I consider myself completely devoid of any political affiliation, but I believe in climate change the same way I believe in gravity. Coming to the book itself, for those who haven't read it, The People from Beyond the Mountains is about an idyllic village with a mountain range to the north. Mysterious people from beyond the mountains start sneaking into the village, causing a wave of fear and distrust. But our protagonist, a 12-year-old girl, takes a more sympathetic view towards the outsiders. She decides to find out who they are, what their land is like, and why they are coming south. Without spoilers, the story is about the journey she embarks on and her learnings from it. These are learnings that resonate in our own world as we work to build a more sustainable economy and society. Though my protagonist is a child, I didn't want this to become a children's story. I wanted to couch serious messages about sustainability and climate change into the deceptively simple story of a girl and a village. I realized that the village is the perfect metaphor for the world itself, literally a global village. That meant that I needed to do substantial research into the climate change issue. Research is never the forte of a creative person, but I enjoyed gaining knowledge on this front. I learned about renewable energy, green finance, carbon credits, agriculture, water resilience, food security, environmental racism, climate justice, and so much more. Not every one of these concepts made it into the story. I didn't want to throw in the kitchen sink. But as I wrote it, I realized that I was writing about the entire history of industrialization, how not to do it, and how to do it. To decide on what sort of protagonist I wanted to have, I asked myself, would an adult take a high ground and unite two different factions of people against a mutual existential threat? Well, sometimes it can happen. Jon Snow united multiple human factions against the White Walkers. But more often than not, it takes a child, and specifically a girl. For those of us who have watched the Japanese anime movie Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, it was a young girl 
who united humans with the Om, which were giant insects that inhabited a post-apocalyptic earth. She united these two factions to find ways to survive this new world. I know these are fictional examples, but fiction is often a reflection of reality fed through a prism of fantasy. The more I thought about it, the more I was convinced that my protagonist had to be a 12-year-old girl. Her best friend is a boy, but he's more of a facilitator. I simply could not think of him as the protagonist because he's just a boy. Well-meaning, but without the empathy and maturity of a girl of the same age. Probably still figuring out how to tie his shoelaces. This made me realize that my novel is not just about climate change, but also about the power of youth and the need for feminine leadership in our world. I believe that women and girls are born to be leaders because they are biologically tuned to nurturing. And this nurturing is not just in the context of their immediate surroundings, but also in the context of entire societies. Our world stands to gain so much by unleashing the power of feminine leadership, not in a way that replaces masculine leadership, but in a way that complements it. As I went about writing the story, I realized that no one can get behind a narrative that is doom and gloom and all about killing jobs and putting people out of work. We need a narrative that focuses on creating jobs and opportunities. A good example of such a narrative comes from my own country, Singapore. There are so many ways in which Singapore is positioning itself at the tip of the spear in the world's fight against climate change while creating millions of jobs and loads of prosperity. This was a key part of the agenda when US Vice President Kamala Harris came here recently and met our Prime Minister Mr. Lee Sien Lung. Here are some of the ways in which Singapore can help save the world. Firstly, Singapore's prowess in R&D makes us a hub for renewable energy such as solar and wind. It is increasingly common to see solar panels dotting the roofs of our houses and office buildings. Secondly, we are making our mark in electric vehicles. We have a goal of installing 60,000 charging stations by 2030 and another goal of transitioning to a fully electric vehicle fleet by 2040. Thirdly, the plant-based protein industry is emerging in a big way in Singapore. We have all heard that meat production, especially beef, has a huge carbon footprint. So this is a big way in which we can green the world. Fourthly, Singapore has plenty of green buildings like the Marina Bay Super Trees, Park Royal Hotel and Capita Green, which are an inspiration to property developers around the world. Fifthly, urban farming is slowly but surely emerging in Singapore. This not only reduces the carbon footprint of agriculture, but also increases our food security. And lastly, the Climate Impact Exchange or CIX is an upcoming carbon credit exchange and marketplace that will make Singapore a regional and global hub for carbon credits. Here's how it works. Let's say company X needs another 10 years to achieve zero carbon emissions. During this time, they need a way to offset these 10 years of emissions. Let's say there's a company Y who specializes in sequestering carbon in the environment by regenerating rainforests and mangroves. These negative carbon emissions will earn carbon credits for company Y. 
company X can buy these carbon credits from company Y. If these carbon credits are equivalent to a thousand tons of CO2, this gives company X the right to emit a thousand tons of CO2. That way it is still net zero carbon emissions because a thousand minus a thousand is zero. Company X will have to do this until the day comes when they have successfully re-engineered all their processes to generate zero CO2. That is when they will no longer need to purchase carbon credits. Till then, they will depend on company Y to help them offset their own carbon emissions. But who assesses company Y's efforts and determines that those efforts should be rewarded with a specific number of carbon credits? That responsibility falls to carbon exchanges like Singapore's upcoming CIX. This means that one thing is of paramount importance here. The carbon exchanges like CIX need to be reliable, trustworthy, and science-based. They need to audit company Y's claims and ensure that they really did the things they claim they did and that those efforts made a difference. If a rainforest was never under any real threat, and company Y claims to have protected it by doing nothing, an audit will uncover this and they will not be rewarded with carbon credits. You need a trusted entity to do this. Singapore has earned the trust of the global community through decades of ethical, financial and business practices and a world-leading low level of corruption. You cannot replicate these advantages overnight. These advantages make Singapore uniquely positioned to power the carbon exchange industry. Coming back to me and my book, I asked myself what are my unique advantages? It all comes back to storytelling. If I can get a few more people to embrace the cause of climate change mitigation through a piece of fiction that entertains them, I would be happy with that contribution. Because I don't believe in being preachy. I believe in entertaining people and couching serious messages within it which they can take away in palatable doses and not feel like they were just taken on a guilt trip. The People from Beyond the Mountains is available in both ebook and paperback from Amazon. You can find both links in this episode description. Once you give the book a read, feel free to share your feedback with me.